and good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're live from the IYBA studios in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It's another beautiful sunny day here, albeit a little bit breezy. And we're here today to talk about cyber considerations in our new work environment. The question is, are you safe? In order to bring this presentation, I've had the pleasure of assembling a good group of people that are going to be able to help us with some of their expertise. Uh, if your box look, if your screen looks the same as mine, you're going to have Jamie Stamper in the top right corner. Jamie is the regional vice president of the Southeast region for CBiz Insurance Providers. Uh, Jamie's area of expertise is uh, private lines, uh, personal lines, excuse me, and primarily uh, corporate and high net worth individuals. On the bottom left, we've got Mike Wills. Mike is a, uh, the founder of CSS Assure and CSS Platinum Security. He is a uh, veteran of the British military, British Army, 20-year veteran, and also did quite a, work, quite a lot of work with military intelligence. In the bottom right-hand corner is a gentleman that probably needs very little introduction amongst our crowd. He, uh, we've got his mug in two squares today. This one and that one. That's Bob Allen of Robert Allen Law, the yacht lawyer. So our, our area of consideration and concern today is uh, stemming from the new environment that we're living in. Um, you know, in the 20th, 21st century, we've become much more accustomed to having connectivity outside of our office space. Uh, we work on mobile devices all the time. Many of us have home offices, but about two months ago, we've been foisted upon a, uh, a different paradigm that is causing us to have to work outside of our normal work environment. And with that comes new challenges. Um, not everybody realizes that you don't enjoy the same protections in your home network that you may have had in your office network. And these bring serious questions to bear. We're going to start right out with going to Mike. And Mike, generally speaking, with regard to technology and information security, how do you see the landscape as having changed as a result of COVID-19? Thanks, Paul, and it's, it's a pleasure to be here and welcome everyone. Um, I think the, the landscape has changed immeasurably. And uh, for a long time in, in academia, in other, other areas, you would have heard about the future of work, perhaps you might have read them in the, in the broadcast or such like. Um, and that was something that was coming, but COVID-19 has brought this forward. It's been the catalyst, actually has changed the landscape where people, depending on where you were, were told, go home and if you can, work from there. Um, and so people have done that and, and they've achieved effectiveness to varying degrees of success. Um, but what they're looking at now is say, well, hang on a minute, you know, we've got a situation now where we have this virus. We haven't got a cure for it at the moment. Uh, we don't know whether there's going to be secondary infection. Could this happen? Could this be an annual thing? Could this be something that happens again? Could another virus come in? Um, just about trying to get onto our feet now. If this happens again, we don't want to go through this turmoil. So what what can we do? So a lot of questions that are being you know asked out there at the moment about you know we need to make sure that we are and we call it agile work. So that's the ability not just to work from home, but actually it's the ability to work from anywhere. And, and why would we do that? Because actually it has many benefits. And, just so we understand what we're talking about here, when we talk about agile working, we're talking about the ability to work from anywhere, effectively, so being able to access all the things that you need to do, efficiently, which means you're doing it in a cost-effective manner, really importantly, compliantly, so that might be from a legal perspective or a regulation perspective, but also whilst making sure that you have happy and healthy teams, and that's really important because, do you know what, working from home is hard, 
um, particularly those people that like to go around the drinking fountain and have a, a bit of a joke and a crack. It's one of those things that sometimes people can miss. So we've got this situation where actually being forced to work from home, we're taking an agile approach to this, and businesses need to really think about saying, right, what if, what if this happens again? How can I make sure I can adapt our processes and procedures to make sure that we can do this if we're asked to again? Well, are there are there appropriate technical solutions in place to protect the workforce, Mike, for people that are working outside of their normal uh, networks, outside of their normal firewall protections? What sort of things are available to the to the general public that may be working from their home office? Exactly. I mean, there are a lot of solutions at the moment, and as with any recession or, or issue or incident, what you find is it's technology coming to form and solutions being created. So it's a really exciting time in that perspective. But I think the really important thing that people understand here is that um, when they go to work in their workplace, they tend to go there in a fairly sterile environment. So you tend to, you may have an IT team, your, your desktops or your laptops, your devices for you, managed on your behalf, the updating of the software is done, everything is there and it's prepared. When you take people out of the work environment and you put them at home, well actually the situation has changed. Now, there may be some businesses out there that provide devices, a laptop or some other form of electronic device to work from home. But if you haven't got that, actually what you find is you put people working on their own devices. If you're a business owner, this is something that, you know, should be concerning you potentially about, am I doing enough? Are they secure? And, and what do I mean by secure? Well, some of the things, you know, as a business owner, we work in an agile manual already. It's, it's, it's our business model. But actually, it's a case of, if I send people from home, what device are they using? Have they got antivirus on there? Who is else is using that computer? Are there members of the family that are also using that computer? What are they navigating to at home? Are they going to risky or indecent or dangerous sites, be that other members of the family or team members, as scary as that might be, may not have the kind of security um, that you would want or you wouldn't be able to, or that you would take for granted at work, but you can't necessarily do that at home. Um, and it also is a case of people understand, you know, what is, how do I recognize an attack? How do I recognize whether I'm vulnerable? So there's a whole load of tasks that business owners really should be considering to say, look, I, I need to pay some for it because if we get this wrong, it could be really, really damaging to a business and also to its reputation. We're going to circle back around to you in a minute, Mike, because I know you have some anecdotal uh, evidence that you'd like to share with the audience about some of the threats that exist out there. But I want to segue over to Bob and ask Bob, you know, what sort of differences do you see, Bob, in the handling of the paperwork and transactions, the documents, and, and, and the day-to-day -day work that people are doing now that they're working remotely? Well, in our case, uh, our firm has been probably ahead of the curve on this. We've had people working in New York and Texas and Palm Beach and Fort Lauderdale and Miami. And we found that the physical space that we needed before uh, is much reduced, uh, at least in terms of its uh, being concentrated in one area. And so with, with people all over the place, we had to be early implementers of Zoom. Uh, we had to invest more in technology. About two years ago, uh, we decided that instead of outsourcing our IT, we hired on a full-time basis our, out, our, uh, out, our previously outsourced uh, IT person. And this was uh, 
as as much to ensure the ongoing functionality of the hardware, it actually it became more than that. It became, if you are going to compete uh, in the in the field that we're in, um, you need to be really sure that you are constantly upgrading your uh, malware protection, your, your uh, whatever they call them, uh, the walls that you put up. We just had to be absolutely sure that we were as safe as we could be. And I just didn't see how there was any way we could do this without having a full-time uh, IT person. And our firm isn't that big. You know, we've got about 15 full-time people and with the, with the whole team is about 22, but we're not that big, but we, we made the investment. And so uh, we have these Zoom communications. We've had Zoom meetings uh, during, the firm has had Zoom meetings for a long time every Tuesday. During the COVID, we went to three a week and now we're down to two a week. Our litigation team meets on uh, Zoom regularly and uh, administration is handled through a Microsoft program called Teams. Now, um, so we've just changed. We've had to deal with the issue of notarizations. There was a recent change in law that allows remote, uh, you know, when we do deal sometimes where we might be in Monaco or someplace and uh, sometimes documents need to be notarized before, you know, it was very important to make sure that you kept the, the notary in Monaco happy so that you didn't have to wait around eight hours like everybody else did. Uh, but that's, that's how we manage that. Now we can do notarizations as long as the signatories are American under Florida law, we can do notarizations anywhere in the world as long as the signatories are have United States social security numbers, residents or, or citizens. Uh, but recently there was, there's been some changes in law and the state of Virginia allows us to uh, do remote notarizations even when they don't involve U.S. citizens. So we're just really having to focus. That's what's changed. We've had to focus on technology and the uh, the functional aspects of technology and the security aspects of technology. So that's that's really what changed. We have to pay attention to, to these things that we used to take for granted. Well, and, and paying attention is critically important. It, it always is, and no matter what you're doing. <clears throat> One of the things that, uh, that we consider here is that even when you're paying attention, sometimes things go wrong. And uh, there's a concept that was uh, brought to market some thousands of years ago called insurance. And uh, it's something that we never want to use, but we're always glad we have uh, at the time that we do need it. Jamie, with regard to uh, these cyber situations, uh, speak to us a little bit about what sort of coverage is there? Is there proper coverage for cybersecurity? I mean, cybersecurity and cyber insurance didn't exist thousands of years ago when insurance came about. Hi, thanks for having me also, Paul. Um, I think that, that Bob is ahead of the curve um, and having that experience. I think there's so many people that are focused on the movement of their employees to remote locations, that their focus isn't necessarily on uh, tech security. And the cyber criminals are aware of that. This is kind of an opportunity 
Uh, so it's even more important to not only just know or be aware that you might have some cyber coverage in your policy, but to have a designated cyber policy and understand it. Um, there are so many uh, facets to it that could even include pre-breach coverage. You may have hotline availability for your employees so that if they have a question while they're hooking up or don't understand their VPN, they might have access to some uh, questions and answers that not having a full-time IT person as Robert Allen Law has, uh, could be very uh, effective and efficient. It's really, and I know Michael speak to this, that communication piece between the employer and employee as to what their responsibility level is in being um, cautious. And cyber coverage is not expensive. It has, you know, when it was when it first came out, um, it was more expensive than it is now, and it has so much more uh, included as far as pre, what to happen, when it happens, uh, how to get hardware replaced. Some coverages will actually replace what you've got if everything needs to be wiped clean, for instance, so that business can continue and you don't have an interruption. Um, even the largest companies, because we do see an increase in claims right now, the largest companies still need to be walked through how to handle, how to use their coverage most effectively. And God forbid, um, not do anything that might jeopardize the coverage. So awareness is really number one and having cyber coverage that exceeds just that little bell and whistle that um, might might have been uh, expressed when you bought your, your commercial package saying, oh, yes, this includes $100,000 in cyber cover. Well, most likely that won't do it and you need to be on top of having your own policy and a policy can be as little as twelve hundred dollars and cover you for three million so it like i said it's not uh ridiculously expensive by any means you can have ten million dollars in coverage for five thousand depending on your company size and hope that answers somewhat of the question Can i add to something that, that jamie just made do. is that okay so i mean jamie it's a really interesting point that you know, this is a really good opportunity at the moment for cyber criminals. And back in the good old days, you used to have robbers that would go to your house and try and break in and steal stuff. Well, we're all find ourselves in isolation at the moment. So the only way that they can move and do things is through the digital domain. And therefore, it's, it's an absolute opportunity for them to target people in a digital manner. Um, and the thing with uh, attacks is uh, there's no system out there that's, that's infallible. You know, people should invest in their cybersecurity so they can be hard to hack. And, and the way I always explain it is to say, you know, well, if you and I were being chased by a lion, I, I don't need to be faster than the lion. I just need to be faster than you. Because if I'm too difficult to hack, you know, if I'm a criminal, I'm going to go somewhere else because I just want a quick return on this. But that's the challenge that a, lots of cyber criminals can be targeting one business or one individual. They just need to be lucky once. The business has to be lucky every single time but make sure that it's people understand what the threats are they're facing being able to recognize them and also make sure that they've got the protective measures one to stop it from happening and protect themselves to identify if something's happening so they can shut it down as quickly as possible um, and three respond in order to make sure reputation can be preserved and also back to business as a usual working can be done as quickly as possible 
nine times out of ten, you're going to need to do that using some sort of insurance support, as, as Jamie was speaking about. Well, well I, think that's, that's a, I think that's a, a great point. I, I'd like to add that in our firm, uh, we do have cyber insurance. Um, since you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, um, I'm not supposed to hate insurance, but I do. I'm not supposed to not like you know judges generally, but I do. Um, uh, but I know that I cannot exist without insurance. And I also know that I cannot exist without um, investing and, in, you know, not taking shortcuts. Uh, every every uh, uh, professional in the firm, every single person who works for us works on a company-owned laptop. Uh, every single person has the IT, uh, our IT person's, um, the cell phone, uh, computers are backed up just systematically. Uh, our IT person can remote access anybody's computer. Uh, it's just, uh, an investment that you, if you, if you're doing serious business, you have to do this. Now, uh, I, both, uh, Jamie and, uh, Mike, I'm sure have had this typical situation that we've seen. I've actually had it happen to clients and I've heard of it happening to other, uh, People, I mean, just kind of witnessed it happening uh, when uh, emails that uh, attach wire transfer instructions or the, there's an email between a broker and a customer that says send $100,000. And then uh, somehow there's an email that looks like it's from the right party, but says, hey, we moved our account to Hong Kong. You know, this happened. A, a client of mine lost approximately 120000 We were able to recover uh, some of it, but still... Uh, we don't give out our, our wire transfer instructions. Uh, we give most of them, but for confirmation of the last four digits, somebody who knows your voice has to talk to you, and uh, otherwise it doesn't happen. And we, we have to be careful with wires coming in and wires coming out. And it's a constant educational process for the team because people generally in life take things for granted. But if you take things for granted, you get killed. Thank you, Bob. Um, Jamie, we've got a good question in the chat box, but I want to step back here briefly to Mike, because yesterday, Mike, you and I were uh, sharing a little bit of uh, conversation about some of this as well. And one of the things that you brought to mind, it, it, it almost scared me. I mean, it's informative and it's very important that people know, but you made me aware of the fact that it's not just some 14-year-old kid uh, in his grandfather's basement in Chicago, who's after you for this stuff. There are minimal things that we all know to do, but tell us how sophisticated this is in this day and age. So, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of capabilities from the cyber perspective, but because of the nature of the industry with which we're working and the high stakes and, and the money and wealth associated with it, it's an absolute target for criminality. And you'll have everything from you know, the 14-year-old kid, as they're called, sat in their room, just for giggles, trying to, to access people's accounts. But there are also highly, highly sophisticated criminal organisations, multiple criminal organisations, that will be targeting yachts and those businesses that support uh, the yachting industry because they see it as a high-value opportunity for them to go against. Um, 
and, and you know, particularly in the super yachting realm, you know, there'll be numerous um, boats out there or criminal organizations, sorry, where there are multiple target packs. And target packs are being made all the time, they're being matured, they're looking for the right opportunity to be a man in the middle attack, as, as um, Bob was just talking about. And there, there, was a, there was an example in the media the other day about 2.4 million constable piece of art, which a criminal sat there, watched, knew the emails going back and forth, and at the point that um, the transaction details were put, he jumped on, changed the bank account details, and that 2.4 million went to their bank account, not to the place they wanted to go. And we've seen these situations happening in the yachting industry. So it's really, really important, you know, that, that people understand that it's not a case of if, it's a case of when, um, and they're alive to the threats that are there. I just also add that um, criminals are patient. Right? They're, they, they're not saying, I'm going to take one step, I'm going to do this, and I want to pay out immediately from that one step I take. They will take three or four, five, six, seven steps to this. This is ground strategy that we're talking about. So it might be that the case they want a particular output from a particular individual that individual is well protected because of the support they have around them so actually what they'll look to do is they'll look to it's like peeling out an onion skin they'll start to go further and further out in order to find out where is the vulnerability where is the soft underbelly? who can i exploit where is the vulnerability i can find my point in i can then sit there and i can watch i can listen or i can inspect a network and you know let's imagine that it's the monaco um uh, F1 Grand Prix, you know, and they know that certain yachts are going to come into Monaco Harbour any given time. They can use that opportunity because they can cross-reference maybe a target of interest with a yacht in a particular place at a particular time. They may not want to do anything there because they're patient, but they might be willing to wait six months until an individual comes on, connects to an infected uh, Wi-Fi network on board, that malware potentially gets uploaded onto his phone, he then goes back and goes off to another place, maybe a place of work or a place of business, introduces it into the network of business, because ultimately the criminal might be looking to steal some sort of commercial information or intellectual property. Now, if there is any vulnerability in one place or any link in that chain hasn't put in the steps that they need to, um, there is a chance that they'll be able to get and achieve what they want to achieve. But these are very sophisticated, very patient, very clever criminal gangs that, that are targeting us. Where, where is there any particular place where a lot of those are based, Mike? Is it uh, is it Russia, Southeast Asia, South America, Topeka, Kansas? <laughs> is there Fort Lauderdale, Florida? Huh? I said Fort Lauderdale, Florida. <laughs> we don't have any of that here. I mean, you know, that you've got the usual suspects where you expect these kinds of criminality attacks to be coming from, but also, you know, they, it can occur anywhere and. and as Bob says, tongue-in-cheek, the criminal gangs are operating, they have clubs and all over the place. And remember, this, this will start with social engineering. They need to find the one person that is going to give them access to whatever it is they need to achieve. Email, for instance. Office 365, if you've got an account and you're using that for your business, you can log into that through that portal. If your details are compromised because your own personal security in terms of um, passwords are not good, I could, if I could, I know probably call at iyba.org. I know your email address. If we can work out your password, I can get into your Office 365 account straight away. Now, we all trust Microsoft. We use the cloud, therefore it's secure. 
Oscuro. There are lots and lots of functionality within Microsoft Office 365 and other um, uh, uh, networking tools or, or management tools you can use. But oftentimes, you've got to turn on the security permissions. And they're complicated, depending on the business that you use, and you need some special support. Just as, as Bob has got, he's got internal support, they need to be managed all the time in order to make sure. Mike, 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 you're, you're, you're not coming through really clearly. It might help if you just, if you slowed down just a touch. Sorry and, about that. And I was going to add, speaking... Okay, Speaking a little bit closer to your microphone, Mike, I'm going to interrupt for one second and I'm going to explain to the audience that we've had a little bit of instability issue with this platform with foreign attendees. It seems that our domestic attendees seem to have a stronger and better signal. Maybe that wire stretched across the Atlantic is getting a little bit thin or a little bit overloaded. But as, as Bob said, if you could slow down just a little bit and speak a little more closely into your microphone, it may help us. Because what you're saying is incredibly important. And I'd like you to, to repeat that last moment, that, that last bit you said. Certainly. Hopefully, this is better. Um, but the, the key point to understand is um, Office Suite tools, for instance, to be able to help them work. Is that any better? Can you hear me? It is. If you speak a little bit more slowly, it helps. Okay. And uh, if you aren't already aware, what we would be suggesting is if you have IT support, is to make sure that the tools available within the uh, Office 365, for instance, or, or the equivalent, uh, are switched on and they need tuning to the organization uh, for which you're working. Or if you haven't got internal support, then, then it's, it's very sensible to, to look for someone that can provide you that support in, a, in an outsourced manner. Sorry, James. You were... I was just saying, I, I think I could speak to a couple of these items also. I just come almost like a, a takeaway um, and stop me if it's not important information. But I did want to touch on the question that came in about social engineering and rates. Um, you need to have a review of the policies because social engineering is also coverage that can be found under your theft or crime policy that's additional coverage that isn't in your your separate cyber policy so uh, it's really a matter of sitting down with your agent or call or or let me look at it and see uh, where else that coverage might come from at a more affordable rate if you feel like you're having to go to super high deductibles to get social engineering coverage because overall cyber with the bells and whistles and the social extor uh, extortion is is um engineering is less expensive than it was um so i hope that answers your question remember to look at a, ask to look at the crime policy as well and this comes through with somebody just spying on on you guys and seeing how two people communicate and I give the example of uh, we all know somebody who doesn't capitalize the word I when they're writing emails. Well, the cyber criminals are watching this. They're going to tell you to send this invoice out real quick that we're late on. They write in the same manner with those uh, uh, under, you know, the lowercase I. And you think for sure that's Beverly. Well, it isn't. And I've just had a claim in the last two weeks with a $98,000 request and a 63 following it the very next day. Um, and it's just that critical to walk away and think about only connecting uh, through a secure network. Free Wi-Fi is not um, secure Wi-Fi. Using a strong password is one thing. 
and we all get lazy about it, but use that strong password and have that secondary uh, passcode or whatever that you need for your secondary authentication. Third is only click on downloads and documents that you are from people you already know. One of the biggest phishing scams we're seeing right now is uh, in this time, during this time, it's important that you um, secure your password and login information. Please confirm here. Well, that's not where you should be confirming because those people already have your information or they wouldn't have gotten your email address in the first place. So be very cautious when a company like Google uh, asks you to to uh, verify everything. They already have your information and, and the artwork is being copied and it's almost like it needs to be a header in every single email. Be careful what you click on and be careful who asks you what you need to verify. Um, the fourth is to verify URLs before you share and uh, logging off your system every night. It's one of the habits with having children around is leaving the internet on or several pages open and that's a very easy access. So make sure everything's shut down. If your company tells you they're doing an update, you can keep it in sleep mode or keep it on, but get off the internet uh, so that those patches and updates are super important. We all hate updates on our iPhones because we seem to think it doesn't work as well or it changes things. But what it's really doing is catching um, some kind of breach or opening that someone has found. So those updates are super important on a security uh, level. Uh, logging off your system overnight and then not responding um, to anyone that's an unknown source. And you, can, you, you don't look like a dummy by emailing somebody else in your company and saying, does this look right? It's better to be safe than sorry. Those, that, are, those are awesome points, Jamie. You know, one of the things that many of us aren't considering, uh, we may leave the office every day at whatever time it is that we leave, and just leave our computer on, not thinking twice about it. But you can't do that at home because they're your kids, you love them, or they're a guest in your home, but you never know who's looking at things that your company would not want them to be looking at. So simple physical security of information is incredibly important. And it, it you know, we take for granted, we, we, we tend to be trusting. So we have to be careful of that. You know, you mentioned, um, maybe inadvertently, but you mentioned extortion. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we all know, uh, or many of us know, of uh, one of the big companies here in our industry in South Florida not too long ago uh, had a very, very significant problem with someone ostensibly taking complete control of their website. Um, and in this day and age, the yachting industry is very, very dependent upon their connectivity to the public through their websites, lead generation, promoting their boats, and so on. Uh, when, a, when, a, when a bad guy comes and stops your company in its tracks, is there coverage for that? I mean, yeah, you got cyber insurance coverage. Okay, maybe you bought a rider. But when they shut you down completely, will insurance take care of that? It can, and you need to make sure that you have that kind of coverage. There are preliminary costs in that event that were in excess of $250,000 just in stopping what they could stop and cleaning what they could clean and replacing hardware uh, that needs to be replaced so that you can continue. There are lawsuits that come out of it because you have released, someone's information has gotten out there. Um, the yacht business in particular has all this high net worth information. And those lawsuits will come rolling in because someone's information has been used 
you know, in fraud. So yes, there is coverage for every step of the way. And it's important, again, education is the biggest part of it. You have to know, um, take the time, take the time to sit down with the agent and go through exactly what's coming with your cyber coverage. Mike, do you have something to add to that? I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And understanding the, the service levels that you've got is, is absolutely key. Am I coming through okay? I just want to check. So yeah, speaking slowly good. works quite well, Mike. Good. Okay. So cybersecurity is, is fundamental. We'll say look, there are a number of things you need to consider. One is make sure that you um, train your staff, know who your supply chain is, make sure that you understand them, you've done due diligence on them, put some governance in, put the technical controls in, but make sure you've got insurance. And when you've got the insurance, make sure you understand what the service level is, what you are covered for, how long you are covered for it for. Now you want to be able to know who do I call if something goes wrong so I can rectify it straight away? What should I not do? Because um, that might invalidate my insurance and that can cause problems um, as well. Uh, and then getting yourself back up as quickly as possible in order from a business continuity perspective, in order to preserve your reputation and also then be able to carry on and recover from the situation um, and carry on delivering what you're meant to deliver as soon as possible. And insurance is absolutely yeah, I want to add that none of us can be experts in everything. And uh, I get asked a lot of questions about a lot of things that are legal that I don't have any idea about. And so the key is, how do you handle things that you don't know about? And you, you can't, your brain, no matter how smart you are, you cannot be an expert on everything. But it's fundamentally important that you have any business owner, uh, any business has to have a relationship with an insurance broker, right? And that insurance broker needs to understand the risks that are attendant to your business. And then at some point you have to trust because I'm not gonna go in there and look at every line and every exception. You just have to trust that your insurance broker is going to get what you need. And, uh, and I, I mean, that's, that's how I handle it. Maybe it's not the best way to do it, but I know that I just can't handle everything. And what I am is I'm a lawyer that assists businesses uh, and a whole lot of businesses and people and buyers and sellers in the yacht industry. I am not an insurance specialist. And so, there's two, hey. two points there that are great. And one yeah. is have an agent that you don't, that you have on speed dial that you can call and ask a question, right? Just have that relationship. Second is have a plan, just like you have a hurricane preparedness plan. If you live where we do, or for for any yacht that's purchased, there you have to submit um, a hurricane plan. Have your cyber breach plan, and make your employees aware, just as if it were workers' compensation. You know, and there's posters up. There's those are the two things that I think you have to have. You have to have a relationship with your agent and you have to have a plan. Well, and, and, and how do you put into effect that relationship with your agent? It's what Mike said before. Uh, as, as, a, as a lawyer, you kind of have this instinct when someone calls you with a problem to start to, to try to solve it. Basically, whenever it hits the fan, the first thing you do 
You may, the, the first thing most people do is call their lawyer. Okay, that's, that's the right thing to do. But the first thing the lawyer needs to tell you to do is call the insurance company now. Now. Because A, you're required to. B, they have experts that know how to deal with this stuff because they're dealing with it all the time. And uh, and you don't want to jeopardize your coverage by doing it. You don't want to jeopardize your coverage, but you also want to get their advice. And if you have a really good insurance broker, you're going to get that advice. And that person is going to access the resources in the insurance company that has the expertise, that knows who to call who the, uh, you know, the cybersecurity experts that you need to call. You know, not everybody has the, you know, the good fortune of knowing people like Mike in advance. So anyway, I just really want to emphasize the, the vital importance of that relationship. And that's important too with the insurance company that you choose. You need to have somebody that has a cyber presence, that has that kind of support, that's not just, uh, you know, three people in an office. We have a team of people just designated to cyber coverage. So to your point, no insurance agent knows everything about everything. And what we do know is that every policy is different. So you have to sit down and read that small print. And it's super um, fortunate that I'm with this company that has all these different departments that you have an expert in, in cyber when we need it. And that that's what they're there for. Mike? I think the other point to add is, is actually the importance of having a plan and having governance in place to know, you know, you don't want to be a business owner to say, if I got hacked, if I was attacked, would I be okay? Um, because this is not the sort of thing you want to be unraveling after the event because it can be a business crippling scenario. Uh, so it's a case of you've got to put governance into this um, planning. Uh, you should have a security plan of which insurance absolutely has to be a fundamental tenant of that and you should be looking to say look we need to develop this over a three to five year plan it's like you have your strategic plans you need to do it for security because it, it's like it's like warfare you know we'll have one country that will develop a tank and another country will develop a tank that can kill that tank. and this constant evolution of uh, of development and it's the same within the cyber realm if you bring out protection um, now, in order to protect against artificial intelligence mutating viruses, you need to have the ability to protect that. It doesn't stand still. So you can't put a sticky plaster on it and say, you know what, I'm okay now. You've got to make this part of your fundamental, one of your core security tenants to make sure you're constantly dealing with this. Having a plan, knowing how to implement it, know you're covered by insurance so that actually... Um, you're as prepared as can be. And it goes back to the point I made earlier. If you're just hard to hack, nine times out of ten, a criminal, unless they really, really want to get hold of you, go elsewhere because they don't want to get caught and they want to get a payout. Um, and so it's really important to plan this as much you can. Well, thank you, Mike. You're, you're absolutely right in that. Um, I wanted to just briefly touch. I knew that this was going to be a lively discussion. I knew that this was going to be an awesome panel that would uh, be inspired by each other to, to bring points to bear. And I'm really happy about that. It, it makes for a great presentation. I, I do want to step off to a little bit of a different direction briefly. And, and while I know we can't be uh, 
dig too deep into it, but there's something else that I think that people maybe aren't thinking about so much right now. And that is the difference in the physical security of our workforce uh, with them being remote as opposed to having them in uh, a, a quote unquote protected environment like the office space. Is there anything that, that uh, Mike or Jamie, you'd like to just briefly touch on that maybe people aren't thinking about? Something that you, that you need to, you know, you need to think twice about this, about your physical security of your workforce and the physical security of the information that they're entrusted with. Yeah. I like to break things down into steps. And so if I was a business, I'm a business owner, what I would be saying is- Mike, come I, a little closer to the mic. There you go. So that's a big head in a camera. <laughs> so um, I would I would break it down into simple steps. Secure the user, okay? Make sure the user, your team member, understands what they need to do. That comes through training. Secure the device. What is the device that they're using? Are you in a situation like Bob where you can provide a laptop to each of your staff members or are you relying on your team to work on their own? If they're working on their own devices, you need to give guidance. You need to explain to them about passwords, software updating, making sure apps are updated, maybe having separate user accounts so that you're not using, if your work user account is separate to your personal browser using account where you might do your day-to-day -day activity, which is separate from your family account, so that you know within that user account you're just dealing with your work-related stuff. Business owners might want to think about connections. How are you connecting securely to your business network? And Jamie's already mentioned the importance of virtual private networks. These are like encrypted tunnels that will enable data to be sent securely um, into your environment. And then you need to secure your network. And that takes specialist advice. Bob's already mentioned about firewalls and, and other anti-malware and quarantine tools which can detect one uh, malicious things that are already on the network, but also things that might be trying to get, get into the network, identifying it, quarantining it, and making sure that it doesn't come to pass. So that there's a number of things that need to be done. And the last one I would just add, is, is, is when it comes down to your productivity tools, be it office, be it whatever, make sure that you switch on the security functionality and tune it to your system. And sometimes that takes special support and you should look for support and the ability to be able to deliver. Jamie, is there anything briefly that you'd like to share with the audience? We're, just, running, we're running short on time. Sure, just one, because all of those are exactly what, what you need to do from step one on, um, thinking about yourself first and then the device. But what I, I would also mention just for those uh, business owners or admin is to consider a third party penetration test. Um, our, our company, and there are probably other insurance companies that also offer this, I'm not sure, but I know ours does, where you can um, we can offer a uh, an activity where we will try to penetrate your system and see if we can get through and then see how it was done, kind of analyze and work backwards as to what kind of cover you need based on that. So that's just another thought. And I think it's a good point. And I would just add to that, that penetration absolutely is a fundamental tool, but it's almost out of date when it's finished. So it's not a one-time thing. It's something that people should plan, be it quarterly or twice a year, or at least once a year. It's something that really needs to be acted in on an ongoing basis. And that goes as a result of what you were saying, where the criminals are constantly evolving as the technology is constantly evolving. Exactly. 
Bob, I know we could open up a whole new line of conversation on this, but just in general, general terms, <clears throat> what sort of liability does a company open themselves up to if they don't have these proper coverages in place? Minimal, medium, huge? You know, I, I was, you know, we did, I was just thinking, uh, a couple of months ago, we did a 30 million euro transaction, right? And uh, we needed to have 30 million euros sent to us from Europe and be received in our escrow account. And then we needed to send 30 million euros out, right? So I don't have 30 million in malpractice insurance. I don't have 30 million in cyber insurance. But I can tell you, if you screw up, I'm sure you expose yourself because lawyers are like sharks, as everybody knows. They're like piranhas. And uh, and if you make a mistake, your duty, it's like a doctor. You know, you can't go to the operating room to have your right leg cut off and have the guy cut off your left leg. You're dealing, other than doctors who deal with, you know, people's lives, we deal with their life savings. We have to be extremely careful. And... Uh, and it's just a theme that we have to constantly hit on. And I know my IT uh, uh, person is on watching the seminar. So make sure we do those penetration tests regularly, Mark. And uh, let's make sure that you talk to, uh, to uh, our insurance broker and get all the appropriate coverage in place. Hey, there's one other thing I want to say, uh, Paul. I know we're almost out of time, but uh, everybody's talking about the new normal and working from home and all this kind of stuff. And it just brings to mind uh, uh, the, the saying that's attributed to George Santayana. Yeah, everybody's heard this. It's, if you don't remember the past, you're going to be condemned to repeat it. And what I mean to say is we've had plagues. Anybody who, who's read the Old Testament, knows that Pharaoh got whacked with some plagues, right? We've had plagues throughout history. And plagues come and plagues go. And, uh, you know, nature is bigger than any of us. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to be able to congregate again or have boat shows again. Or when we go to boat shows, we're going to have to be able to be six feet away from each other for the rest of our lives. To me, that's just hocus pocus. And we get through this, it's like a hurricane. It lasts longer. It whacks a few people, sadly. Hopefully it doesn't whack me. And I feel sorry for anybody it whacked. In fact, you know, in my family, we have we coincidentally had two deaths of people who were in their 80s on both sides. And I don't think it's COVID related, but my point is this that let's not get too freaked out. Let's get not get too freaked out. Let's uh, uh, the sky's blue and things are gonna get better, and they're gonna get better before we know it. Well, and I think you're absolutely you're absolutely right, Bob. The only the only comment I would have for Mark is, as Mike said, you don't have to swim outswim all the piranhas. You just have to outswim the guy next to you. Let the piranhas get him. <laughs> Bob, you br you bring a great point, and uh, I just want to I, I want to close on a little bit of a different twist. I want to thank Mike, and I want to thank Jamie, and I want to thank you very much for your insights, uh, for your expertise, and I want to remind everybody that. What we what we have the pleasure and the joy of doing is bringing joy to people. We sell the sizzle in life. We sell the the experiences that can't be duplicated anywhere else. You can't enjoy the family memories that you build on a boat 
in any other way that I've ever discovered. I've been RVing, I've been to ski homes, I've been, I've done a lot of different things, I've been blessed. Um, there's nothing that, nothing that replaces boating, in my opinion. And we're all really, we're blessed to be in the midst of that. And I'm gonna encourage, we're gonna take a moment uh, and have a green moment with uh, IYBA in each of these, where we wanna call out some attention to a green initiative. We have a committee that is uh, trying to help us become more aware of that and spread that message throughout the industry. Uh, Boat International has, uh, in concert with uh, the Blue Marine Foundation, uh, they do something called the Ocean Awards of 2020. And I wanna just give a brief shout out to the five winners that we're made aware of. The Innovation Award winner for Migratory Connectivity in the Ocean, which rolls right off your tongue, so I guess they call themselves the MECO Group. The Migratory, uh, the MECO Group, is a consortium of organizations and institutions that work together to pool data on marine animal migration, and they're winners of the 2020 Innovation Award. The Local Hero Award winner, which I think is awesome, goes to a small school called the Tava Heroa Primary School in French Polynesia. Uh, the students of this school, the pupils, are working to protect their homes, uh, the atoll, the Anna Atoll, from overfishing, and their efforts make them the winners of the Local Hero Award this year. The Public Awareness Award winner goes to Necton, a research charity which plans to protect 30% of the Indian Ocean's waters by 2030. The Visionary Award winner goes to Andrew Sharpless, CEO of Oceana. Since its formation, Oceana has protected more than 11.5 million square kilometers of ocean and has been behind 225 changes in legislation to conserve the seas. And finally, the Science Award winner goes to Dr. Rainier Froisi for developing a computer program that measures stability and sustainability of fish stocks. It's incumbent upon all of us who enjoy this as a way of life to protect the environment in which we're able to operate. Thank you very much to all of our panelists. Thank you to our attendees. We really enjoy bringing these informative segments to you. Hopefully that we can bring more of them to you. And if you have great ideas for topics that you'd like to have covered, please share them with us, info at IYBA.org. Mike, Jamie, Bob, thank you so much for your great attention today and your great input. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much.